I'm Duncan McLeod. Welcome to the Tech Central show. We're glad you're here. If you haven't subscribed yet, youtube.com slash techcentral or any of your any of the best uh, podcasting platforms out there, you'll find the show. Just search Tech Central on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, you name it, you'll find us. Now, we don't often speak about uh, open source software and Linux on this show very often, and we probably should, uh, given how important it's actually become behind the scenes in running the world. Uh, it, it hasn't succeeded on the desktop, which I think probably frustrates a lot of Linux fans uh, who have wanted uh, that uh, to happen for decades now. Um, but uh, Linux, in one form or another, is pretty much everywhere. It uh, runs the cloud, it's on our phones, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it's become incredi- incredibly important. It's become like an underpinning, I guess, to the world of IT. And uh, I thought to chat with uh, the CEO of Obsidian Systems, Mochi von Staden, who I have not seen in probably 20 <laughs> years, uh, would, uh, would, be a, would be a great one to do. Mochi, thanks for making the time. Thanks for coming to the yep. studio. Thank you very much for the invitation. Glad to be here. I was shocked to discover five minutes ago before we started recording <laughs> that you don't actually run Linux on your desktop, <laughs> that you're in fact a Mac user. Why? Um, uh, I'm not as technical as, as a lot of the people that, that, that work for Obsidian are. Right. And... Uh, it was just something that I personally struggled with. I mm-hmm. tried it for probably three to six months okay. uh, back in the, the 90s. Which distro did you use back then? Oh, uh, you know, the, so the, long ago. Eh? The techies <laughs> tried me to use several of them. You know, okay. then, then it was, uh, try this one, it's easier. This one's more user-friendly. Right. Um, but, you know, the second time I couldn't get documents to print, I, I gave up. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, uh, personally, I've always been a, a Windows user. Um, and only recently made the uh, the switch to Mac, so uh, still Mac, wrapping right. my head around those two. Okay, which do you prefer, Mac or Windows? I've only been on Mac for a week, so give, ask me next week. Then <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're frustrations a new, both sides. Uh, a newbie to the world of Mac. Okay, so I was really surprised to, to to discover that in fact you've been using Windows all these years, uh, even though you work for an open source software company. How did you get into the world of open source? Um, our company started in, in 1995. Yeah. Uh, we were a bunch of engineering students at the old Rand Afrikaans University. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, one of the founding members kind of said, you know, he's tired of uh, buying hardware from other people. Uh, he thinks we should start a company and sell hardware to students. Okay. That was the original idea. And one of the guys stumbled on, on Linux uh, mm-hmm. and uh, being at a university. When in, was in this? 1995. Okay. Linux so, had just come out then. It was, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, I think it, was it came in 93, whatever. 92, 93. It yeah. was starting here. I remember uh, I was um, actually working in my first job at the time, and uh, one of the first, uh, one of the pioneering users, uh, Clayton Nash was his name. He, you may even know him. He, uh, he worked on various publications as a journalist back in those days. I think he lives in the UK now. Um, but he was one of the very early users of, of, uh, of, yeah. of, of Linux. I think he read the original manifesto if there was one by uh, uh, Linus Torvalds and uh, and and he, he was he, I, that was my first exposure to and it was very it was a purely a command line Unix based operating system back then none of the fancy bells and whistles you get so so today. one of the founding members Anton de Vetti he kind of discovered Anton, it on, yes. on, on the internet mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know we were fortunate enough in in those days uh, being at a university we were one of the few people that actually had access yeah. to the internet uh, so we, we downloaded it and he started playing with it. Um, and then one of the professors had a problem with a Unix system. And yeah. he said, could you come and have a look? Mm-hmm. And Anton went and he fiddled and he got it working. And as he walked out, the professor said, you know, well, please send me your invoice. And we were like, wait, we, we can charge money for this. <laughs> um, and uh, early on, we decided this this is something that we think is unique. And, and we, we love the concept of 
collaborative software development. Yeah. You know, a lot of people still think open source is a religion. It, uh, some behave that way, but, it, but it's not. It's just a, a fantastic way of developing software. Yeah. Um, and I guess our, our first break was, was Nando's. Nando's. Yeah, uh, we we deployed a, a Linux system in every Nando store in South Africa in the late nineties. Wow! Uh, so we ate a lot of chicken. Point but, of uh, sale. Terminals. Uh, their back end. No, it was not. Okay. So it was just their back end was at that stage okay. a Unix system, and we replaced it with a Linux system. Right. And Anton coded uh, a thing that would uh, distribute updates, stuff that you now take for granted with things like Red Hat Satellite and SUSE Manager and those mm -hmm. kind of things, but. We coded it from scratch and we okay. ran that whole network, and that was our big break. Right. Uh, and other than that, we we built email system for schools. For uh, schools. schools. Okay. Because uh, once again, in the nineties, uh, it wasn't that Microsoft gave away the technology uh, to schools like they you know uh, done recently. Um, so a lot of the schools couldn't afford email systems. Mm. So we put down a, a Linux system and provide email for every mm -hmm. scholar. Yeah. Um, that's how we started making our money. And then uh, as you look in the history, you know, when, when Red Hat became uh, uh, the bad guys and suddenly charging for, for Linux, <laughs> uh, our world changed heavily. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we, we had to uh, jump on that bandwagon and be part of explaining to people why you have... Uh, the Fedoras and the Reddit Enterprise Linux is why you, you need to, to pay for it. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we've come a long way in uh, educating people on why open source to, like you said earlier, yeah. we're now pretty much, it, it is everywhere. A lot of people associate open source with free, as in, as in free beer. Yeah. Uh, but it's not really. I mean, it's it, the free, free, the free speech, it, yeah. it refers to free speech or freedom. Yeah. Um, rather than the price of it, uh, so you can buy open source software that actually yes. pays money. Yes. It costs money. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and uh, it's Linux just happens mostly to be free. Yes, uh, and um, so th th there's a, an article if you go Google it on on, on YouTube. It's around uh, the Beekeeper. It's written by it was James Dixon. He was the, okay. the CIO of, of Pento. This was probably ten years ago, and for right. me, it's one of the best analogies I've ever heard explaining to people why you need companies like a Red Hat, like a, a SUSE that, that charges for this. Yes. And it's the concept of uh, bees make honey. It's the only things that do it, and they like the software developers in the open source world. Mm -hmm. All they want to do is code. Mm -hmm. they're, not, they're, they're terrible at writing documentation. They're not great at roadmaps. They just like to code, and mm -hmm. it's like a bee making honey. Now you have a, a housewife that wants to consume the honey, she wants to walk into a retail store and buy it in a pretty bottle. Mm -hmm. Now there's no way the bees will ever do that. Mm -hmm. You can pay them as much money. They will. It's just not in their nature. Mm. And the same thing here. So what you have in between in the bee world is a beekeeper. They go and they go. There's a demand for this type in this bottle, etc. Sure. And they charge money for that. Mm. But with the money, they then create environments for the bees to flourish. Mm -hmm. So that's that relationship is the same as the open source world that right. you have read at. They take money from people, but they provide an environment for the open source coders to do all of the magic that we do. Yeah. So for me, it's one of the best analogies on, on how this enterprise open source thing works and yeah. why you pay money for certain things. Right. Before we, we talk about cloud and enterprise stuff, let's, let's, let's stay on the desktop just a bit longer. Um, I, I know you were joking earlier that uh, next year will be the year of the Linux desktop and next year, of course, will be the next year. <laughs> Um, why do you think uh, Linux hasn't taken off on the desktop? I mean, I've installed some distros. I play around occasionally. I've got some, an old laptop. I installed it on for fun. And it's actually looking, it looks pretty good. Um, it's quite usable. Um, I think there's still some 
tricky stuff like installing drivers, for example, occasionally might might run you into a bit of difficulty. Yeah. And that might be easier on Windows or Mac. But generally speaking, it looks pretty end-user friendly. Um, why is it not used more broadly, do you think? I think it's those small nuances. If, if the printer can't work, right. uh, if you're a, a typical home user... Um, it's too technical. You, you then get stuck. Um, and, and for guys that run this on, on their servers and look after customer servers, for them to then quickly go in and, and VI and make mm. a change to something and get it working for them, it, it's fine. Mm. But your average computer user, I think it's just yeah. too technical. Now you've, um, gone, you've gone to Mac personally, uh, yeah. and I know quite a few developers who develop in Linux on who run Mac yes. and run Mac OS. Why is uh, why is Apple so popular amongst Linux developers? I think uh, I, I guess the the core code is, is similar. Uh, yeah. That's why they, they they kind of like it. Um, so like the command said, line is familiar, familiar commands. Yeah. And uh, and like you said earlier, it just works. Um, stable, it's robust. Yeah. And uh, and maybe there's an element of uh, you know the open source guys have always had something against Microsoft. I don't know if there's still <laughs> that that element in. We're going to talk about that in a moment. <laughs> but I imagine most of the people at Obsidian are running Linux on the desktop. Uh, most of the technical staff, but mm -hmm. uh, we have quite a few that are moving towards um, Mac. Right. Uh, but none of the technical guys are running Windows. To give you an idea, so it's either yeah. either Linux or. Mac. Apart from yourself, who's running Windows until last week, is there anyone running Windows in your organization? Yeah, so most of the sales and admin staff oh, for, for the very reason that. Okay. When they're at home and they can't print or scan, right. um, uh, then it creates uh, additional challenges. Wow, interesting stuff. <laughs> Let's talk about Microsoft. I mean, Microsoft was this hated. I mean, they were Satan in yeah. in <laughs> in, uh, in the open source world for many years. Steve Ballmer famously described the GPL, which is the license that governs open so much of open source software, as a cancer yeah. that is infecting IT, um, which did obviously did not go down well amongst <laughs> the Linux community and open source developers. Um, but what, what is the view of Microsoft in the open source community today? So you know, you've got the Windows subsystem for, for Linux. Microsoft bought GitHub, which yeah. I know is very controversial amongst uh, some in the developer community. Um, is Microsoft still the great Satan, or is it, uh, is, is it seen as more of a partner to open source? I, I think definitely more of a partner. Okay. Uh, the fact that they themselves have open sourced uh, a lot of their code, mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned GitHub, uh, that they uh, acquired. Um, I think Microsoft as a whole has had a fundamental change from yeah. you know the Bill Gates, Steve Ballmer days to, to where we are now with, with Satya Nadella and them. They have a, a much more, dare I say, open view of, of the world sure. and understanding that, uh, you know, and we mentioned it earlier, open source is literally everywhere. And yeah. that's why um, 20 years ago it was an enormous differentiator. Mm. Uh, this technology is open source, this one is not. Mm. Um, we don't have those discussions with customers anymore. Okay. Uh, honestly, 20 yeah. years ago, it was it, pretty much every meeting was, this is why you want to use open source. It's, it's not dangerous because people can see the code. It actually is better. Yeah. Nobody almost cares about that anymore. Yeah. I think it's because it's, it's everywhere. Um, and what happened with Microsoft, which is interesting, is they pivoted as an organization. It's one thing Microsoft has done so well compared to other tech companies. IBM was not successful in pivoting, for example. And they're a fraction of the size they used to. They don't dominate the industry like they used to. But Microsoft seems to have this inbuilt ability to pivot. We saw it in the late 90s with the, micro, with the internet browser wars. And we've seen it again recently as they pivoted to, to Azure and, yeah. and cloud services, which is now the bulk of their business. Do, do you think it's the fact that Windows has become less important to Microsoft that's actually driven this this maybe a cultural change within the organization where where they say, well, actually Linux is not a real threat to us anymore because we're not the Windows company anymore. Yeah, I think there's an element of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I hear it often that uh, uh, 
operating systems are a commodity. Mm. Um, it doesn't really matter what you run. Um, and, and I think that has changed for somebody like Microsoft, it was a core for them, that it, it's now they have to look at other revenue streams and, and cloud is, is such a dominant thing for, for everybody, it doesn't matter who you are. Mm. Um, so I think, yes, they, they are a wonderful organization to follow the, the history and how they had the ability to reinvent themselves. Mm. And I think probably the thing that they reinvented the, the most and the deepest was their culture. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's very difficult to very do for difficult. any organization. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, and I think that's something that you can applaud them. You might not always like all of their tech and some of the things they did yeah. uh, in the past, but uh, you've got to applaud the fact that they reinvented themselves from a culture point of view in, in now yeah. open and uh, working well. And uh, you know, even if you look at the relationship between Red Hat and, and Microsoft yeah. uh, and how that has evolved over the last 20, 30 years, they, they're now good friends. Um, yeah. a, a lot of Red Hat runs on top of Azure. Mm. Um, I mean, you can even run Microsoft SQL on Red Hat. So yeah. uh, how the world has changed from what we, what we had 15, 20 years ago. So you think Microsoft can be trusted uh, these days? Uh, certainly a lot of uh, Linux enthusiasts 10 or 20 years ago would have said you cannot can trust this organization. Do you think they're a tr trusted partner now? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think there's, uh, I think a lot of that uh, animosity has, has disappeared over the years. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's none of that anymore. Um, I think, once again, cloud has, has driven people to go, well, you know, these guys mm. have great tools. And even if, if I speak to some of our, our developers, some of the tooling that you get from yeah. Microsoft yeah. is really amazing. They, they love it. They've, yeah. they've gotten over the fact that it comes from, you know, Bill and his friends. And you can go into Azure and sign up and get a Linux instance in the cloud, <laughs> and it's all from Microsoft. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Um, of course, uh, Linux has succeeded elsewhere. Well, I, I don't know if you can technically call it Linux, but... Um, there are billions of devices in the yeah. in the world running running uh, effectively running Linux. Sure. Uh, you probably have one in your pocket. I have one in my pocket, and that's Android. Yes. Um, I mean, is Android Linux? Is it? It's got its basis is in. Open my understanding is, is is yes. I know yeah. at some stage they they forked, and then yeah. if my memory serves me, they they merged the the kernel again. Whether it's the same now, I'm, I'm right. not sure. But fundamentally. Uh, in my view, yeah. it, it's Linux, and, it, and it's it's everywhere. And it's it's certainly still op it's open yeah, source yeah, software, and yeah. it's it's absolutely it's absolutely everywhere. And and um, on that basis, I mean, it's is it the most successful operating system in history? I I would think so. Yeah. Uh, and I think for me, it was it's always we use the example. It's the one operating system that you can pretty much deploy on any architecture. Mm. So uh, if you look at the Unixes, if you if you look at Microsoft, mm. no other operating system can make the claim that they can run from the mainframe to a watch. Yeah, it's the one thing that that open source and, and Linux did do, right? Uh, and that was the power of it. If you wanted to yeah. deploy it on a watch, you could go and make the changes and put it on a yeah. watch. Uh, with the, the proprietary ones, you didn't have that ability, mm -hmm. and that's what made it so successful. On the Proviso, of course, that your changes are, are shared back with the community. Yeah, because yeah, that's just a good and nice thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, does that does that turn some people away from open source? The fact that you have to you have to the license requires you to share your code. Uh, I, I think some people um, don't like it, mm -hmm. and I think some people maybe get around it and don't always stick right. to the rules. Um, I mean, there are well-documented cases where they've been taken to, to court by uh, different entities because of that. Mm. Um, and uh, But yeah, if you look at the amount of licensing options in the open source world, it's also frightening. Yeah. There's, there's so many of them. Yeah. But I think that it's, it's, it's just about the principle. Mm -hmm. um, we're building something together. Like I said right in the beginning, you know, open source is, it's a development model. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a religion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, and, and it's probably not even a good business model, but it's, 
that collaborative development. And mm-hmm. if you buy into that, then why wouldn't you want to make the things that you make better, share it with others? Because mm-hmm. um, you, you, you're quick enough to take it mm-hmm. and give it back. And mm-hmm. that's just, I think, the fundamental, irrespective of the license. Mm-hmm. Look at the principle of what the culture is. Is, is that compatible with a free market? Is it compatible with capitalism? Well, you see, that's where the beekeeper comes in. Um, so uh, you have companies like SUS, uh, uh, Ubuntu, Red Hat, they, they compete. Mm. But collectively, they fund that base that they all work on. Yeah. Uh, and from there, they, they charge for their differentiator, yeah. but they're willing to work together on that, that base. And that for me is, um, think about it, it's, it's beautiful in, in my yeah. mind. It's, it's a beautiful concept. Yes. Uh, if more people did the same thing in, in everything that we do in society, mm. uh, wouldn't we be all better off? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Philosophical questions. <It> is. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about so the enterprise and and and, and cloud. Um, I, I guess the first a, a, a good place to start would be to ask you what kind of conversations you're having with your clients about enterprise IT right now. Yeah, I think uh, you know we we realise that most of our customers, in my mind, have a similar problem. They have uh, data centres. They have uh, some branch technology. They have some IoT technology and edge technology and even a desktop yeah. be considered edge technology. So it doesn't matter if you're a small mom and pop shop or if you're the biggest bank in South Africa, you fundamentally have that challenge. Mm-hmm. Then you are inundated with infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, and software as a service providers coming to you and say, just give it to us. We can do this bit better, this mm-hmm. bit better. But, and as a small business owner or a CIO of a bank, your challenge is what do I run where and why? And you know, I, I have lots of small customers that would go, but, but we don't have the same worries. And I go, but, but you do. Mm. Your email, it's, it's probably cloud-based. Mm-hmm. So you make use of a software as a service or a platform as a service, whether you realize it or not. Your desktop of your accounting lady at home, it's, it's an edge device in your network. Mm. It's the same fundamental problem. And we're helping our customers just traverse this wonderful world of hybrid IT. Mm-hmm. What do you put where, why, and then the important thing is how do you manage and control that? How do you make sure whether it's um, a piece of data, whether it's a container, whether it's a VM, that if I deploy it, I know it's my standards from a security and a governance point of view, but I have the ability to move them around between all of these wonderful platforms. And, and that's a world how our business has changed. And those are the things that we're trying to help customers so, with. The, so Obsidian become um, less of a... Um, how can I describe this? More less of a, a, a technical focused company and more of a cons- business consulting focus. A, a, a bit of both. We, okay. we still do very. I mean, we we fundamentally you still do the hardcore techie yeah, stuff. Absolutely, but mm-hmm. but we start with that question and that that idea of okay, great, we're going to deploy. Let's take a a, a data solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, is having the discussion with with the CIOs to go mm-hmm. and say, well, right, we're going to deploy the data, but we have to worry about things like like governance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who has access to what piece of code, uh, the data lineage? Do you even know where it landed in your network, how it was moved, who made what changes? Mm-hmm. Those are the, the principal questions that we need to under, unpack. And then we can go and say, great stuff. To address some of those, yeah. here are some of the deep technical tooling okay. that we can help you address it. Because at the end of the day, you've got to understand why somebody's wanting something, whether it's a VM, a container, a piece of data. Yeah, yeah. And if the best solution is not open source? 
we will gladly go with what the, the, the customer, what the best solution is. Uh, our days of being fanatical about open source, I guess, is, is also come and gone. Okay. Uh, we, we have a, so you'll work alongside Microsoft in an organization. With the greatest of pleasure. Yeah. Okay. We, we have, they, they're everywhere. And that, um, many years ago, I, I even said to people, it shouldn't be about open source. It yeah. should be about open standards mm -hmm. uh, and, and the ability to deploy something cross-platform. Yeah. Uh, it shouldn't actually matter whether it's open source. Open source typically gives you those things. Mm. But if you go and, and let's pick on a few vendors, if you, if you have an Oracle database mm. and I can deploy it on multiple OSs, mm. that solves the, the, the problem of is it cross-platform? Mm. Um, I always said, you know, if, if a piece of technology forces a customer and tells him or dictates what happens around it, I go, it's a bad piece of technology, mm. irrespective if it's proprietary or open mm. source. The moment you start dictating, but it can only run on this OS, mm. it can only run on this hardware, then I start questioning and I openly say to my customers, you should think about this because yeah. it's a tunnel decision and they tend to be difficult to get out of. Right. If you pick open standards and cross-platform, you should, in theory, have the ability for choice later on that's not dictated by somebody else. Right. Right. And how many organizations, end-user organizations, actually ask that question? Uh, too few. Mm. It's part of what we do. Vendor lock. I mean, vendors yeah, are known yeah. for doing lock-in. Yeah, That's yeah, what they do. Yeah. Um, uh, how, how many organizations that you speak to have are in that position of being locked in by their vendor? I, I, I think too many. And, uh, and some of the cloud providers is, is, uh, has become the new vendor lock-in. Mm -hmm. uh, right. You know, yeah. on, honestly, let's be frank about that. Sure. Um, and, uh, in fact, you know, a lot of people are now saying you should not have a single cloud uh, vendor as your service provider and that you should have a multi-cloud yes, strategy. Yes, yeah. what's, what's your views around that and what companies should be doing? Yeah. Our view is that always, so you have to lock into certain technologies. I don't think you have a choice, mm. but you can pick what you lock into. And we believe you should lock into abstraction layers. Okay. Um, Meaning? Uh, something like, it's like some container platforms, yeah. uh, whether it's Rancher, whether it's OpenShift. Uh, that's, the point is I can deploy containers anywhere. Mm -hmm. on my own data center or in any infrastructure as a service provider. So it gives me the ability to still have choice on where I deploy it, mm -hmm. but I've locked into a rancher or an OpenShift. Mm -hmm. uh, alternative is I go and say what I run, EKS, AKS, uh, each one of these different ones, but then you have the complexity of you don't have standardization. Mm -hmm. So lock into things that give you an abstraction layer. Right. That, that's just what our advice would be just because gives it gives you, you the ability mm -hmm. to go, well, cool. If if I'm not happy with Azure, I can move to to AWS. Yeah, and there are a lot of technologies out there that facilitate this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's the question. <laughs> Vendors are great at telling customers how to go into their platforms, mm -hmm. and we help our customers to just say, well, you should ask them how do we get out. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. not something vendors always will go and volunteer, mm. but it's it's a key question that customers. What if don't this relationship ask. goes wrong? Yes. Yeah. Is what if I want to get out? Um, how do I get? Can mm. can I export? Can I put that into a different cloud provider? They quick to give you import tools, mm. but mm. not that uh, quick on of saying course. how do you get off. <laughs> of course. <laughs> cool. So you must be doing a lot of. I mean, historically, you must have done a lot of on-premises work. Uh, Linux servers running in, in, in corporate data centers with, with uh, everyone moving to the, almost everyone moving to cloud right. solutions. You must be interfacing a lot more with AWS and Azure and, and yes. platforms like that. So are you finding as Obsidian that you're doing most of your development work in cloud environments now? Combinations. You, you still have certain environments that will always be in 
in the data center. Um, yeah. And what we're also seeing a lot of our customers, they might have gone cloud two years ago, and now they're actually starting to move certain workloads back. Why is that? Cost. Um, Cost. Okay. Yeah, for, for a lot of them. It is so um, easy to spin up processes in the cloud yeah. and suddenly you see your uh, invoice come through from Microsoft yeah. or Amazon and it's shocking. <laughs> and, 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 and that's why we always yeah. go, once again, pick an abstraction layer mm. that you have that ability, mm. that I can move a workload from on-prem to Azure AWS GCP. Yeah. Uh, now, if I ran into a cost issue there or uh, a regulator for whatever reason decides cloud vendor A is a, a bad idea for South Africa, if, if I don't have a way to move that workload, I'm now locked into a really bad situation. Mm -hmm. And that's what we try and it might cost you a little bit more mm -hmm. in the beginning, but I believe in the long run that choice will save you a lot of money. And yeah. uh, as for us in cloud, we, we are an AWS partner. Okay. Um, uh, you know, we, we, we in discussions with the guys from, from Google, yeah. we've tried many times to, to work together with Microsoft. So we, our customers work with all three mm -hmm. um, and so do we. We don't have a choice. So, mm -hmm. But it's once again that Linux, the power of it, Linux can run yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So it's for us, it's a form of an abstraction layer. So Mr. Customer, if you want to run it bare metal, VM, a container, anywhere, we can still help you facilitate that. And just like we did for Nando's, mm -hmm. how do you manage that distributed network and make sure that everything is up to date, everything is governed to yep. your rules? So right. Fundamentally, it's still, in my mind, similar to what we've been doing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, are you seeing some, do you see some industries that have more of a um, proclivity to open source than, than others, or is it sort of a mixed bag? A mixed bag. Um, and like I said, I th it's, it's, it's no longer such a big discussion. Um, yeah. uh, it's, it's wonderful and sad in the same sentence because we just don't talk about it anymore. Uh, Ten years ago, it was every meeting that we did was the debate about yeah explaining what is open source. Proprietary versus open yeah. source. So that discussion is not happening anymore. Was, when those discussions were happening 10 years ago, was it largely around price or was it around other issues? Anything from, from principles. Yeah. Uh, we, we had okay. several customers that would go, but uh, surely this is dangerous. Uh, if people can, dangerous. See the, yeah, people can see the code and it's like, no, it's actually more secure. So there was a lot of education in the early days just on the principles of the, the code is open. It's a good thing. It's, yeah. not, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. You, you should actually see, but... And people go, but, but how can it be secure? Um, it's secure because everybody can check it. That's mm -hmm. why. So there was a lot of that, but that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Nobody's, I haven't had that discussion in a very long time. Very long time. Fascinating. Fascinating. So where do you see this, uh, all this going? I mean, you, 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 Obsidian's history has been in open source. Um, you started as, an, as the Linux company, as an open yeah. source company. Um, what, what is, uh, as, I mean, just looking at how the industry's changed over the last 10, 15, 20 years, um, where does it go next and, and what does Obsidian become? <coughs> I, I, I know it's unfair to ask you 10 or 20 years from now, let's say five years from now, what is, what is Obsidian? Um, we, we strive to be the, the best solution provider for, for open solutions. It okay. doesn't have to be open source. And that's right. why I said earlier, it's, it's about that open standards, um, cross-platform, the ability of, of having choice. Yes. Uh, it's still fundamental for us, it always mm -hmm. has been through everything that we try to do. It's like a philosophical underpinning yes, to your business. because I really believe it, it's the right thing for, for a customer. Yeah. Um, and I've had big fights with some of our vendors when they uh, insist on things that doesn't give a customer choice. Mm -hmm. um, so still providing open solutions mm -hmm. um, and giving customers the ability to, to move a workload, mm -hmm. to understand that, that 
lock-in mm. can be very dangerous. Make them aware of it. But you know, I've openly said to our customers, if if they still after that go, but I want to go down that tunnel, mm. I'll help them go down the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will remind them often, we warned you that this is a tunnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't do, do tunnel stuff. Rather go for, for cross-platform, mm-hmm. the ability to move stuff. So fundamentally, an open solution, helping our customers traverse this beautiful hybrid IT world. Right, right. And Microsoft's cool in this new world too. Absolutely. Buchi <laughs> <laughs> is CEO of Obsidian Systems. Thanks so much for joining us in the studio. Thank you for your time. Thank you.